Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Seems to me that um, every time uh, one of us girls gets up to share the message, Pastor Dave is sick. So I don't know if there's something going on there. But uh, he assures us there's not. He's hoping to get out of hospital this morning, just waiting on um, a scan, one more scan and clearance from the doctor and should be home this afternoon. But he did say to pass on his appreciation for your prayers and love. I want to take you back to the days of King Arthur, when knights from around the kingdom went on a quest to find the elusive Holy Grail. And the Holy Grail was said to be a vessel that Jesus used at the Last Supper and it was also thought to have been used to collect the blood and and sweat that Jesus shed when he was on the cross. And um, if we can get that slide up. There's uh, varying ideas about what the Holy Grail looks like. Some think that it's uh, a very royal chalice with uh, gold and uh, lots of jewels, while others think that it uh, is a cup that's more becoming of a carpenter, such as Jesus was. But the quest could only be fulfilled by someone who was humble and pure in heart. And one legend says that the person had to lead a life of purity in thought, word and deed in order to find the grail. And these gallant knights, they sacrificed everything that they had to find this holy grail. They put their lives on the line and they renounced all that they had to go in search of the grail. I don't know if you watched Harrison Ford movies, but he depicted that quest in the Hollywood blockbuster Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And even the Nazis pursued the Holy Grail, believing that its powers would help them win the Second World War. You know, the quest for the Holy Grail was not just the pursuit of an old relic, but it was actually a search for the very heart of God. If we were to fast forward to the 21st century, if we were to define a quest that defines our time in history, what would we say? Well, if you're new to our church, we've been studying this book over the last few weeks called The Life You've Always Wanted by a man called John Ortberg. And John Ortberg says that it is for a balanced lifestyle. Our bookstores are full of self-help books on having a balanced life. And the internet boasts limitless numbers of lifestyle coaches and mentors who profess qualifications in helping you live a balanced life. It's everywhere. Balance is the holy grail of the 21st century. So what is this balanced lifestyle? Here's a, a common definition A balanced lifestyle basically means taking a thorough inventory of one's life, managing time, making adjustments where there is a need. It essentially adds up to living reduced stress levels associated with the demands of life. One can live a balanced lifestyle by getting sufficient exercise, resting enough, eating healthy and finding time to relax. Now, I guess you're probably sitting there thinking that that sounds like a pretty worthwhile endeavour. 
Getting everything in balance is just what you need. Equal time for everything and we'll be happy and fulfilled. And it sounds sensible on the surface. And that's fine if a superficial life is what we're after. Balance in itself is not a bad thing, but if it is the sum total of what we're living for, if it's our quest or our goal, then I think, truth be told, we're really selling short this life that God has entrusted us with. There are a few major problems with making a balanced life our purpose and goal. Often a balanced life is depicted as a pie chart and we've seen that pie chart a few times as we've done this series. When we depict life as a pie chart, our faith journey gets diminished to be just a segment in the pie. Viewing life as a pie chart means that we can seem to think that some of our aspects are not spiritual pursuits. And we forget that God is interested in every part of our lives, every moment, every activity. If God is sovereign, if he is Lord of all, then he is Lord of everything, not just what suits us at the time or when we find ourselves in a jam or a tight spot and want some divine intervention. Another problem with the balanced life quest is that it is a bit of an undertone because really... All we're doing is trying to make our lives more comfortable and convenient. And I guess there's nothing wrong with that except that God gets diminished in that, doesn't he? And we make the things of God more convenient and more comfortable, more watered down so they fit around our other pursuits. Striving for balance doesn't allow for the fact that God says that the fundamental purpose of our life is for something bigger than just ourselves. As John Ortberg says in his book, Jesus never said, if anyone wants to become my follower, let him deny himself, take up his cross and lead a balanced life. He said to follow him. He wants us to do what he would do if he was in our position I want you to picture this. A 21st century time management consultant sits down with the Apostle Paul and the conversation goes something like this. Paul, if you look at your pie chart, I think you'll agree that your spiritual life is going pretty well. But vocationally, your tent making has seriously fallen off. You're just not spending enough time in the office. Consequently, this has led to some significant downsizing of your financial portfolio. Your retirement plan is seriously compromised. And if things keep going this way, well, let's just say I think you need to make some adjustments. Let's review the time log that I asked you to complete since we had our last session. Paul gets out his log and he replies, well, it's like this. Five times I have received the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a day and a night I was adrift at sea. On subsequent journeys I was in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own people, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the wilderness. Faced danger from false brothers, found myself in toil and hardship, had many sleepless nights, was hungry and thirsty, oh and on an occasion I found myself naked. 
Imagine trying to put that into a balanced pie chart. You see, Paul's ultimate aim in life was anything but balance. In fact, in Philippians 3.8, Paul says this, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul's life was in perfect harmony with God's call on his life, but it wasn't because he pursued a balanced lifestyle. It was because he pursued God's will in his life. Guys, if balance is our benchmark, then we're looking in the wrong book. On the flip side, living a reckless, impulsive, devil-may-care life has serious consequences too, not only for ourselves, but for those who we do life with. Being unbalanced is not the answer either. So then what is a quest that is worthy of our attention and devotion? A quest that will fulfil our every need, that will enable us to live life beyond ourselves with purpose and meaning. What quest will cause us to leave behind a lasting legacy for our children and those who come behind us? What quest will lead us to that life that we've always wanted? John Ortberg suggests that the quest that is worthy of God's people is the quest for a well-ordered heart. Now, people who know me know that I love order. And um, I'm going to invite you into my world for a moment. This is my pantry. And uh, in my pantry, everything is in rows. Shortest at the front, tallest at the back, labels facing forward. Heaven help you if you don't put anything back in the right spot. And the spices are in alphabetical order. Next slide. This is my linen press. Next slide. This is the Tupperware cupboard. There are no stray lids in that Tupperware cupboard. And I think we've got one more slide or we missed one. My bathroom vanity. Now, stop laughing. You could be forgiven for thinking that I have OCD or perfectionism or a touch of the crazies, as my kids do. But underneath all that, I really value order. I like being organised. I like the feeling of well-being that I have when everything is in order. I love to-do lists and I often have a master list for the to-do lists. I value order. But this kind of order is what we call external order. It's a bit like lining up the ducks in your life and making sure that they're flying in formation. And when life is going smoothly, this value of order works well for me. It gives me a sense that everything is as it should be. All's well in my world. I'm doing okay. I've got all the plates spinning in the right direction as I juggle the demands of life. But life is messy and life gets complicated. Family members get seriously ill. Teenagers fall into substance abuse. Spouses lose their jobs. 
Life gets in the way and in those times no amount of order or list making will quiet our spirit or strengthen our resolve. There is nothing wrong with external order but let's be clear and let's be real. The key to this life is internal. Man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. You know, one of the biggest revelations in my life has been that my real life is the life that is in me, not what's going on around me. I love Proverbs 4.23. Keep and guard your heart with all vigilance, above all that you guard, for out of it flow the springs of life. This verse speaks of that internal order. We are instructed to guard our heart, to protect it, to nurture it. We are instructed to do that with all vigilance, which is great watchfulness, with the deepest of care and concern, undivided interest, constant attentiveness. You get my drift. Why? Because it is the wellspring of life. It determines the course of life. It's where life starts. Everything we do flows from it. The key to this life is internal. It isn't finally getting the promotion that we think we deserve or getting our finances in better shape or when our human relationships are how we'd like them to be. If those things were the key to life, then Solomon would have said, Keep and guard your position. Keep and guard your money. Keep and guard your family. We can and we should pay attention to these things, but not above all else. No, Solomon says to protect and nurture our hearts. If you were to do a word search of the Bible to find the most common words, the most common word after the and the names for God, Jesus and Lord is the word heart. Obviously God had great concern about the heart and its influence over us. I want to take three thoughts out of that Proverbs 4.23 verse. Number one, that our heart is extremely valuable. We don't guard worthless things. At our house every Sunday night, we take our garbage out to the footpath and we leave it there ready to be picked up on Monday mornings. And it sits there all night unguarded. Why? Because it's rubbish. It's worthless. But not so with our heart. It is the very essence of who we are. It's our authentic self, the core of our being. It's where all our dreams, our desires and passions live. It's the part of us that connects with God and other people. That's why Solomon says, above all else, he doesn't say, if you get round to it all, it would be nice. He says, no, make it your top priority. If your family, those you loved, were under threat... You would do whatever you could to protect and nurture them and keep them safe. That's the kind of approach we need to take toward our heart. Number two, our heart is the source of everything that we do. Solomon says it is the wellspring of life. In other words, the heart is the source of our thoughts, desires, values and motives. The heart is the place where we assign value to things. It's where we find what we really, really, really 
love and value and treasure. It's what we give priority to. You know, the verse, the word of God sums it up when it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our heart determines the kind of person we are right now in this moment. In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus says, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our words and behavior are a reflection of our heart right now. Have you ever been to a place where there are natural springs? I know many of you have been to Matarenka Springs in Northern Territory. And the water in these springs comes up to the surface of the earth from deep, deep down in the earth. And then it accumulates into pools and or runs off into rivers. And up at Mataranka, the springs there pour about 30 million litres of warm water every day into the Roper River. If you were to plug up the springs, you would stop the flow of water. If you were to poison the water, the flow would become toxic. In either situation, you would threaten life downstream. Everything depends on the condition of that spring. So likewise, if your heart condition is unhealthy, it has an impact on everything you do. It threatens your family, your friends, your ministry, your career and your legacy. The heart determines who we are now and it determines the person that we are becoming. And that's why Solomon says to instructs us to watch it so carefully. Number three, our heart is under constant attack. When Solomon says to guard your heart, he implies that we're living in a combat zone and that there are some casualties. You know, I think many of us are oblivious to the reality of this war. We have an enemy who is bent on our destruction. He opposes God and he opposes anything that is aligned to God, including us. And Satan uses all kinds of weapons to attack the heart. For me, these attacks often come in the form of some circumstance that leads to hurt, disappointment, discouragement, and even disillusionment. And in those situations, I am tempted to quit and to walk off the field and surrender. We are in charge of guarding our hearts, and I think it's pretty much a full-time job because we don't know on any given day what's going to come up. You don't know what somebody might say to you that's going to hurt you, disappoint you, or let you down. And suddenly there is a wound there that needs to be dealt with. Since we just don't know, we need to constantly be working with the Holy Spirit to keep our heart right. If wrong things in our heart go unattended, they will become deeply rooted and harder to deal with. That's why we must guard our hearts. They are more important than anything we can possibly imagine. And if we lose heart, we've lost everything. So while the world tells us that what we need is balance, God speaks to us of a well-ordered heart. What does a well-ordered heart look like? 
I think a well-ordered heart draws on a deep well of love for God and people to be able to respond well in every situation. And that's what we see if we look at the life of Jesus. Jesus was able to respond well in every situation. He was response-able in a dysfunctional world. And church, we live in a hugely dysfunctional world. In John 16, 33, Jesus tells us that we will have trouble in this world and we need to have a well-ordered heart if we are going to navigate the storms of life and be able to respond well in every situation. The guys are going to put up a video and I want to give you an example of what it means to be response-able in this dysfunctional world. A woman about to be mugged in the parking lot of a Walmart turned things around on her would-be attacker. Without a gun, without pepper spray, she protected herself. I was lucky enough to meet Pauline Jacoby in Dyersburg. She told me about the powerful words that saved her and could possibly save her attacker, too. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins. 92-year-old Pauline Jacoby reads her Bible every day. Her strong faith keeps her going in life and in the process may have saved it. Jacoby had just finished putting away her groceries inside her car at a nearby Walmart. Only seconds after Jacoby got into her car, a man jumped in the passenger side. The man told Jacoby he had a gun and that he would shoot her if she didn't give him money. I said, no, I'm not going to give him money. Jacoby told him no three times. Then she started to talk to him. You know, as quick as you kill me, I'll go to heaven and you go to hell. She told him to ask God for forgiveness. I said, Jesus is in this car and he goes with me everywhere I go. And uh, <laughs> he just sort of looked around and the tears began coming in his eyes. Jacoby ministered the man for 10 minutes inside her car. And he says, I, I think I'll go home and pray tonight. I said, you don't have to wait tonight. Kids, you can just pray anytime you want to. As tears were rolling down the man's face, Jacoby voluntarily gave him all the money she had. $10. And when I told him I was going to get him the money, I said, don't you spend it on whiskey either. <laughs> the man thanked her for the money and then... He told kiss me on the cheek. <laughs> and walked away. He walked away. That is being responsible in a dysfunctional world. If we are responsible people... We are able to draw on the peace that passes all understanding. We are able to live out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives despite difficult circumstances. We are able to experience the joy of our salvation. We are able to forgive unconditionally. We are able to live at peace with all men. We are able to stand firm despite Satan's attacks. And we are able to give an account of the hope that we have in Jesus. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. What would it look like 
if we did all things in the name of Jesus? Well, let's get practical and take an ordinary day. What would it look like to wake up in Jesus' name, to drive in Jesus' name, to handle nuisance calls in Jesus' name, to play and talk with our children in Jesus' name, to interact with our neighbours in Jesus' name? to forgive our work colleagues in Jesus' name. We know that deep down it would make a world of difference. So how do we develop this response-able heart? I think we go back to the beginning. It isn't complicated. We go back to Jesus' words in Mark 12, teacher of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. If the heart was truly well-ordered, we would view everything through a God lens. If the heart was truly well-ordered, we would love people so much that we would not want to deceive or manipulate or envy them. Imagine what the world would be like if it were filled with people who had well-ordered hearts. TV shows like Miami Vice would be Miami Virtue. Tabloids would be filled with stories about lavish acts of generosity and compassion and mercy. An army of counsellors and psychologists and lifestyle coaches would be unemployed. We would sleep at night instead of staring at the ceiling at 2am full of regrets. And we would have no need for do-overs. But we live in a fallen world and sin has created disorder where God intended there to be order. Our hearts have been tarnished and as Revelation puts it, we have lost our first love. That overpowering, all-consuming, I'll do whatever you ask of me, God, type love that we felt when we first decided to follow him. How do we fix this disordered heart? How do we transform these ordinary fallen hearts into hearts that love the right things in the right way? I think there's two ways to answer this question. Number one, we need God's intervention. And number two, we need a plan of action. We need a rule for life, a framework, as it were. And they are not independent of one another. They work together in our lives to bring transformation. We must determine that God is the ultimate agent of change in our lives, that transformation happens through the work of the Holy Spirit, convicting us where there needs to be change and equipping us to make the adjustments. God will not do this without our cooperation. He will not act as a steamroller just carving his way through our heart. He's looking for hearts that are willing and yearning for transformation. I'm reminded of those verses in Jeremiah 29, 13. You, see, if you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. We need to redefine our priorities and get intentional about pursuing the things of God. This is seeking God with all our heart. And then we need to develop a plan, a rule for life, where God can change us, reorder our hearts and renew our minds. We need to position ourselves where he can do that. The CEO of a Fortune 500 company would never try to grow his organisation without a whole lot of strategic planning. The coach serious about winning a premiership 
would never go into that without planning and pre preparation. We consult financial planners about our money, travel agents about our trip of a lifetime, and Dr Phil and Oprah about our family issues. Surely the need for such consideration and care is just as great when it comes to our spiritual life. Spiritual life will never be, spiritual transformation will never be a random venture. Cross your fingers, she'll be right, it'll happen one day kind of approach. Just like a vine needs a trellis to grow to its full potential, we need a support structure, a game plan. For Jesus' disciples, their game plan was to follow Jesus around, learning his ways, listening to his teachings and copying what he did. That was how they were transformed from fishermen to men who became his disciples, established the early church and changed the course of history. In Alcoholics Anonymous, they follow a 12-step plan over and over and over again. Church, if we don't intentionally embark on this journey of transformation, we're going to find ourselves in the predicament that Paul spoke of in Ephesians 4 when he says that those who don't build themselves up in God, who don't reach for maturity, that transformation, that well-ordered heart, will be like infants tossed about by the waves, blown here, blown there, blown everywhere. I don't know about you, but I don't want to settle for mediocrity. I don't want to live my life tossed from pillar to post, never really tapping into the life that God has for me. I want that transformation that the Bible speaks about. Our game plan or rule for life means finding a rhythm for living in which we can grow more and more connected to God. It's filtering everything through that God lens of we spoke of before. How can I approach my work in a way that others will see Jesus in me? How do I handle my money in a way that draws me closer to God? How do I do my daily tasks with a sense of the presence of God? How do I model Jesus to my children in this situation? Lord, who do you want me to reach out to today? It also includes using the tools that God's put in our spiritual toolbox, the things, the practices that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Prayer, reading and meditating on the Word of God, fasting, worship, serving, and doing life in a community of believers who both encourage and stretch us. Remember Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, work at it as though you were working for the Lord, doing it with your whole heart. That verse does not invite us to do life like a pie chart, allocating a segment to our spiritual life. Our spiritual life is the pie. The filling comes in a range of flavours. But we are asked, we are called, we are equipped to do life in Jesus' name. Jesus' followers are those who intentionally arrange their lives around the goal of spiritual transformation, the development of a well-ordered heart. It's about establishing priority. One of the big problems for us is that we live in a microwave with a microwave mentality. We want and we expect everything now. 
Press the button and get instant gratification. And such is our conditioning to this now mentality that we kind of get annoyed if we get held up at drive through and we're asked to park for a minute while they attend to our order. We don't want to wait around for things to be baked and marinated. Church, I think we bring that kind of mentality to our spiritual life. We want instant growth, instant transformation with little effort on our part and when it doesn't come, we give up. The purpose of marinating and baking is to bring out the richness and the fullness of the flavours in the food to enhance what is being cooked and to present it in its best possible form. And I think our spiritual life is meant to be like that. A slow and steady process designed to bring out the best in us and bring us to the place where God planned for us to be. The absolute best version of us that we can possibly be. Our faith is not meant to be simply mentally agreeing to the facts of the gospel but being changed and transformed by them. That change and transformation comes from within. It comes from the place where we do life, in our hearts. If we want to be response-able in every situation, we need hearts that have been trained well, that are battle-fit and warrior-savvy. The worship team can come up. How about you? How do you stand the test of life's battles? Do you get stressed out or is your trust in God? And the battles will come, you can count on it. And I know that many of you here are facing battles now. God asks us to bring them, to enable us to bring them closer to his heart. Hudson Taylor wrote, It doesn't matter how great the pressure is, what really matters is where the pressure lies, whether it comes between you and God or whether it presses you nearer to his heart. We've been getting a challenge every week as we've done this series and so here's the challenge for this week. Remembering that our choices reflect our values, our values reflect our heart, and our heart reflects what is most important to us, consider the following. We are free to make our own choices. But every choice that we make is a seed that we sow. And every seed that we sow will bring some kind of harvest in our life. As you do life this week, I challenge you to weigh up your choices in light of that statement. What kind of harvest are your choices establishing and are they in line with God's call on your life to love God and love people, which is the ultimate reflection of a well-ordered heart? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org.